0: sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben Adelberg. and once again welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben Adelberg. this is episode 204. as many of you already know i'm on the road this is the first leg of four of my month-long odyssey around the country following the little white ball being hit by the best amateurs in the world. First stop, Country Club of North Carolina for the U.S. Junior Amateur. This is my first U.S. Junior, and I can tell you that it will not be my last. Getting to see the best juniors in the world and how they move the golf ball off the tee and around the greens, it's absolutely stunning. And this is coming from me. I've seen some bombers at the highest levels of the game. These kids are the next wave. I'm getting ready to head to Chicago for the Western Amateur, but before leaving, I wanted to make sure to get another episode out and to also thank the USGA and CCNC for their hospitality this week. Two first class organizations. Make sure you are following both of them on social media. Support these organizations that do so much for junior golf. Over the next month, as I said, I'll be traveling quite a bit. So the intros to these episodes are going to be on the short side. Please hold your applause. I'm just trying to find a manageable balance between covering tournaments on site while also posting episodes. You might also hear a couple subtle audio differences. Remember, I'm not in the home studio, but I will be doing my best to make sure that you have clear audio and fresh new episodes this month at the back of the range. One of the standouts this week at the U.S. Junior was Connor Goff. You might remember that he played on the 2019 GB&I Walker Cup team at Hoylake. Well, he's here now in the States, and he will be attending Charlotte University and will be playing his college golf there. He lost in 20 holes to Cohen Trollio yesterday in an incredible match. And if you remember, it was Connor's older brother, John, that picked up the win at the Palmetto Amateur a couple weeks ago. I've seen a lot of John, first at Merido, then at the Palmetto. And coming off of his dominant five-shot victory at, the, at Palmetto Golf Club, I figured it's about time to have him as a guest here at the back of the range. John is originally from Slough, England. It's about 90 minutes from Royal St. George's. He played five seasons for the 49ers at Charlotte. Don't worry, we dove into how he made it to North Carolina from the UK. That's a great story. We spoke a little bit about the Open Championship. This episode was recorded during that championship. We also discussed his five-year maturation process in college how his game improved, and how he's improved off the golf course. And I have to thank Carson Onby, his teammate from Charlotte. He really did give me some nuggets of intel that are sprinkled into this episode. This is a fun one. John is an absolute blast to be around. He doesn't hold back. This is someone that you will want to follow as an amateur, and definitely once he eventually becomes a professional. John, let's get to it. Welcome to the back of the range. How are you?
1: Yeah, we're all good. All good over here.
0: So you are still uh, still in the states following up your victory at the Palmetto amateur. And I wanted to before we talk about golf, and there's a lot to to chat about, but if I remember correctly and I, I'm just gonna get this sore subject out of the way early, I believe uh, your your English uh, football team lost to Italy in the UEFA final. Ooh. I know I know we're gonna get the, we're gonna rip the Band-Aid off really quick and we'll be over with it. but The reason I wanted to bring this up, so they lose in PKs. I saw that live. I don't even know where you were when you were watching it, but there's going to be a correlation between this and golf. So walk me through how you were watching that final, where you were watching it.
1: So I um, I actually was back in Charlotte, and I only just got back, so I was in my apartment. I had a teammate over watching it with me, seeing as all of the boys were away uh, playing tournaments. So it was kind of nice. I didn't have to not only um, explain how soccer's played or football, <laughs> football, actually, not soccer. Anyone uh, that's English listening to this will kill me if I call it uh, soccer. So without explaining to everyone how uh, it's played, I could kind of be amped up and everything by myself and just with Trey, Tobias, one of my teammates, who I've lived with, so he kind of gets the gist of how important it is. Sure, But, yeah, it was... Um, It was a tough one. It was a ride of emotions. I was trying to explain to him um, how in golf, I don't really, I don't think that anything in golf, as all golfers listening to this, would agree. um, It gets pretty nervy at times, golf, but I don't think anything could stand up for taking a penalty um, for your country to win a tournament or to lose a tournament as it was. But yeah, it was good fun watching it. We it was a ride of emotions for sure.
0: Yeah, and there you're like you said, there really isn't anything like that uh, in golf. Uh, you know, I'm you know obviously the Olympics are just have been kind of uh, uh, reborn for for golf, so to speak. Uh, so I don't think there is the emotional attachment right now for for golf. You know, I guess I'm thinking about. You know, gosh, I, I'm thinking if you're a Greg Norman fan and you're watching him slowly just, you know, leak oil in 96 at the Masters or, uh, you know, Shane Lowry, you know, winning the Open Championship two years ago in Ireland, I'm, I'm thinking that that must be like if he if he missed like a two-footer to win, something like that. I mean, I guess that's the only explanation I can think of.
1: Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with it. But I would say uh, from playing football growing up, I'd say a penalty in them circumstances, which I've never experienced would feel a lot longer than the two. Foot <laughs>
0: exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Ocean so- to, to the professionals that want to win it. I mean, I know that everyone wants to win a major. I mean, before we get into to your career, I just couldn't help but think about, there seems to be such like a romantic notion about winning the open that I don't see with the U S open as much. Um, has that just been been part of the um, just been part of the makeup for, of anyone that that gets into the game in the UK?
1: I believe so. It's it's the history of it all. Um, I mean, every however many years it comes to St Andrews, the home of golf, and it's just it's got like a special kind of vibe around it, really. And growing up, everyone wants to win the Open, and obviously the course they're at this week is. Not only a great place, but, yeah, it's about, I think, 45 to an hour okay. from my house. Um, so I was lucky enough to play it there in the amateur championships a few years back. Wow. And it's a pretty, pretty special place.
0: So uh, how many courses have you played, to your knowledge, that are on the open Rota? I know you've played St. Andrews. We'll talk about that. You've, so, so now we've learned that you've played Royal St. George's. Have you played any other courses that are on the Rota?
1: um i have i've played berkdale royal berkdale which is one of my favorites okay. in fact, it's um an insane place there <laughs> uh it's crazy how good that golf course is um in conditions whether it's wind or no wind i'm not too knowledge i'm pretty sure has mulefield hosted the open
0: oh yeah that's that's where uh that's where mickelson won it
1: of course yeah, yeah. so i played mulefield which is another insane place to be around and I actually played the British boys there, where we got to play Muirfield and the Renaissance Club, where the Scottish Open was played. Sure, sure. And they're two incredible golf courses. I've played Port Rush, Royal County Down. Oh my gosh! And I've been pretty lucky to get a good few courses.
0: That's a uh, that's a nice collection. I mean, um, you know, I've I've played, uh, gosh, well, I've played the old course, and uh, I've yeah. played I've played Carnoustie. So,
1: oh, that's a good track I yeah. played there too.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, it's not it's not a competition. Come on now. Um so, um all right, so we're going to get back to that and we're going to talk a little bit about St. Andrews because there's another topic, a little topic of the Walker Cup we need to discuss a little bit later on, but I want to give listeners a really good idea of your journey. I mean, you grew up like we just said in Slough, England, which like I said 20 miles west of London, but your collegiate golf, you're a, you've played 5 years at charlotte in north carolina so that's a big uh there, there's a big journey right there to get from uh you know just outside of london to, to charlotte united states so i guess talk to me a little bit about how you got into the game in in england and maybe a little bit about what your junior golf experience was like
1: yeah of course um so initially i uh my family no one played golf we live right beside a golf course we live right beside a few golf courses <laughs> okay. but uh no one was into it or anything. And I actually went to school in London because my dad um, would work early mornings. And so would my mum, where she actually worked in London as well. And we had a childminder, so a babysitter. Sure, sure, yeah. And um, it was my babysitter's husband. That um, actually got me into it, just in the back garden, hitting plastic clubs, plastic balls over the f- over the fence in the backyard. Perfect. In into the um, park nearby, and then we would walk around and collect them. And I think that's how I just got into it. And then obviously, once I got into it through there, I uh, went th- went to the golf course. Um, I was quite lucky. The golf course that I lived right beside uh, Wexham Park Golf Centre. It is a hub for junior golf, really. Every Saturday morning, there was like a little roll-up that you'd go with your friends, and I was probably only five or six years old, but I went to them until I was about eight or nine, and that's where I met my coach, who still coaches me actually to this day. Oh wow! He, he had my first lesson, Dan Reese from Wexham, and yeah, I just fell into love, fell in love with it there, and it brought me to many places around the world. So I'm grateful for my journey.
0: And that's amazing because, um, and, and as you can imagine, with a lot of the stories that have been shared here at the back of the range, you hear stories from, you know, my, my dad was a teaching pro or my, my grandfather uh, got me into it or I played with my dad every day or my mom every day. There's all these different stories. There's really no one particular path to playing uh, to playing this game and that's great. So you're kind of saying that if it wasn't for the the, the babysitter, the child, you know, the childminder, however you want to call it, there's a really good chance that you may never have found golf.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm very grateful to both of them as well for in- getting me
0: into it. Incredible. So I have to ask, you know, over here in the States, obviously there's the AJGA, which is probably the biggest junior golf tour. And then there's several other ones around the country. And then obviously each state, Golf Association, whether it's Florida or it's North Carolina, they all have great junior programs and a lot of areas of competition. Talk to me about b and o golf b
1: and o golf that is um that's what got me started into competition and match play and it's, it's a so we do county golf back in England yeah. so each county plays against each other and so forth but we had like a running in the county kind of tournament and it was called the futures tour okay and that kick-started not only me but all of my friends that i know from around um around where i'm from and getting us into events and prepping us for bigger and better events and that's where i met my um another coach that I have i only have two coaches rob watts he was the um he was the county coach for bbno and that's where i met him also who's taught me since I was twelve. So it's it's opened a lot of doors for me, taught me a lot of things and I've enjoyed that that a lot as well because it taught me how to play match play. How all the Europeans that's kind of our reputation on the Americans. We we play match play a lot more than you guys do. Sure. Um and I think it's all down to county golf to be honest. Because that is we used to play tri- I remember when I was probably about 12 we used to play triangular matches as well so we would play i would be playing in a threesome and i'd be playing this guy and this guy so right. i have a three foot part is good for one guy but the other guy makes me put it um so yeah we had it all
0: so did you have a lot of friends that played golf just casually because i think here it's you know i can't speak obviously for every single junior but it's hard to kind of break through that wall of just playing for fun and then playing for competition and being tested and being, uh, you know, going up against someone else. And hey, you're going to lose obviously more than you're going to win. But did you have a lot of friends that just went out and played and you know, weren't really serious about it? Or did, did everyone kind of fall into that mode of, hey, this is how you play this sport. You you compete. You just don't go whack the ball around and 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 go find it.
1: I would say I only had a couple of friends that didn't play it competitively because uh, everyone that was kind of in my friend group in golf and everything, we were all, well, everyone that grew up playing golf, it was extremely competitive. Right. And at a young age, I'd actually say we were all playing golf for competition. I think it was just then when you get to the late teens and stuff, you see people obviously going different pathways and, maybe like golf isn't for me or I don't want to play it competitively for the rest of my life. But most, most of the people I grew up playing golf with was just purely competitive.
0: Well, I think that's the only way to do it. If you want to get better, uh, that's that, that's my opinion. Um, well, I, you know, you have this great journey in, in junior golf and, uh, you know, you've won, uh, gosh, you know, U S kids European championship in 2015 boys home international in 2016, just, you know, l- you know, numerous top tens and, and, you know, several, I mean, T 11 in the boys am, um, you know, in 16. So, so this great junior career and you follow in, uh, you know, I guess it, it is kind of a trend. A lot of Europeans are coming over to the States Getting recruited by schools to uh, to to play collegiate golf, and that's exactly what you did. You 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 jump over uh, you know, from the pond and you come over here, and you end up playing at Charlotte. You are a and and I guess my question is, what did you know about Charlotte, North Carolina, before a coach uh, you know, before your coach came over and, and talked to you?
1: So it's actually a pretty cool story. Um, as you mentioned, we home in the nationals there. I played for the England boys squad and um for numerous events and stuff but our um coach his son was actually the assistant at Charlotte so they kind of at the time I was 17 it was a very impulsive decision I kind of oh, okay. made it very fast and it was it was that summer that I made the decision basically but yeah my My England coach, his son was the assistant. He was obviously saying, oh, it's a good pathway to go, America. It's where you need to go for your golf, essentially, because you're playing all year round rather than playing tournaments just through the months of March to the end of August or whatnot. And so that kind of brought up to my ear, and then I got into contact with the coaches here at Charlotte, and they were great. I couldn't fault anything on my time here at Charlotte at all. Uh, but at Home Internationals that year, I was rooming with Matty Lamb. Uh-huh. So he we played England stuff together and he was committed to come to Charlotte. And I remember we were just having conversations because it was on my mind and I was like, yeah, I do like the idea of Charlotte and it would be pretty cool to go. I know people there uh, because so, obviously Connor Purcell and Mark Boucher were two Irish boys as well who would be joining in the same year as me. So we would have a, we ended up coming and going back to the uh, home internationals. I was talking to Matty about it I was like, yeah, we'll just do it and see how it goes, ride it out, see how I feel about it. Because at first I was unsure whether I wanted to make the move over to the States, especially only being 17 years old at sure. the time. I didn't, even, I didn't even get to finish. Um, my last two years in high school. But so I came over and we came over with a pretty cool group. We had two English and two Irish in my uh, freshman year. We only had seven or eight on the squad. So we (laughs) made up most of it. So um, there was no real signs of homesickness or anything, because if anything, we were making the American guys more more European.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, all these Americans now are wearing trousers is what you you (laughs) usually
1: yeah we got them into trousers we got them watching soccer all sorts it was oh they didn't gosh. know what
0: hit them oh my gosh so what was maybe the transition for you um you know on the i mean obviously you're going to have a lot of off the golf course transition uh whether it's you know going to a university and you know you know culture shock of, of kind of going from from england to to charlotte north carolina and you know those are we, we can pretty much understand what that would be just, you know, making new friends a new environment a new, you know, new concept of, of what, you know, classes would be like and, and all of that. But what about maybe your first year or second year of kind of transitioning your game so that you're playing, uh, you know, largely Parkland golf? I mean, you're not playing links golf anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The Biggest thing for me, I remember it, it almost took me a whole year to get um, used to Bermuda like grass. If, not so much the the uh, rough because on Lynx golf, you catch flyers and you know how, how tough it is. Sure. But Bermuda sits down a bit more in the rough. So it's a bit more of like a, a you have to plan it a little bit more. But just getting pitching around the greens, that was the hardest thing for me to get used to. I I would, and I'm sure a few of my, uh, well, most of my friends, hopefully, would agree that I uh, had a short game was one of the best parts of my game before I come to America, and it still is now, but for my first year in Charlotte, I was like, how do I do this? (laughs) Exactly. I I don't know, because it felt like if in England, where you pick everything really clean and you can use the leading edge a lot more, if you've done that, on Bermuda rough, and you caught it. One blade of grass,
0: too St- heavy. Just sticks.
1: Yeah, it was like the ball was going half the distance. It would normally go if you chunked it. You're like, and that was a chunk. But I didn't think it was that bad.
0: So you just basically had to learn how to somewhat use the bounce a little bit on the on on your wedges.
1: It took me. It took me a while, but I think I'm used to it now. Now I'm going <laughs> home. I think I just about got used to it.
0: Well, I I would imagine just being you Know when I've played in the UK, you know, part of you know, growing up in South Florida, a lot of it is flying the ball to the hole, a lot of a lot of flop shots, a lot of everything around the green is, is in the air because, with like you said, the, the, with the Bermuda, it's so sticky and it's very hard to judge it. You can't run things up, you can't just do bump and runs. A lot of it is flighting the ball and carrying it. So, you almost, I'm guessing, had to recreate your entire short game, not just with the contact. But also with with Bermuda greens and things being so soft, it you you can't play that 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 running shot that I'm guessing you were used to.
1: Yes, I had to really train my like visual approach to every shot I hit because from a hundred yards, let's say, I could see a slope on a links course or even parkland courses back home. The greens are a lot more bouncy and they sure. roll out a bit more on the bent on the bent uh, greens. But I'd be able to see his slope, and I was like, all right, I can play it off that, and he can roll down. But over uh, here, it's more just like darts. What we see is darts back home. You just throw it straight at the flag, and you're good to go. Yeah. But uh, no, I I definitely missed playing um, all the fun shots you get to play back home. But I think uh, for your talent and skill levels... I think throwing out the flags and everything over here definitely taught you a lot more because you're more working on, like, landing zone. And it was pretty easy. It was easy to, once you mastered it, it was easy to get used to being confident enough to doing it, I'd say. But it definitely took, it took a while.
0: You played all five years at Charlotte. Your stroke average of 72.59 is really, you know, it's third all time. I mean, you played in, gosh, 133 rounds and 45 tournaments. I mean, you had this really long, illustrious career at Charlotte. Um, what What's maybe the biggest change in your game and also maybe your personality that you've experienced since, you know, going to college in the States?
1: I would say it's a lot to do with... Maturing as a person, along with golf, I'm sure. Uh, if my coach, Coach Cabbage, was listening to this, he'll be the first to tell you we had we had our times where we butt heads, and he <laughs> let me know when when I wasn't doing the right thing on the golf course. And none of it was really technique or to pulling the shots off. It was all my approach to like playing the game, thinking about shots and routine. Probably is a is a key thing for me.
0: Okay, so tell me, so give me an example. I think this is interesting because it it speaks to the maturation of, of a, you know a an, a young player coming into a college environment, and you know you have other teammates that are depending on you to to play your best because your score is most likely going to count. Uh, you have to always assume your score is going to count, and then you have a coach that's holding you accountable for these things. So, can you maybe give me an example of? Something in your freshman or sophomore season that Coach Cabbage said, you know, hey John, that that's not going to work here. That's
1: um, where what one do I pick? <laughs> okay, um, well, I, I, I mean, um, I, I
0: mean, we this is only a four-hour podcast, John. I mean, come <laughs> on.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I do remember one time on a golf course that me and a coach laugh about ever since, really. Um, it was at the Jerry Pay in Alabama. And so I was struggling, having a bad day, and one of my teammates was also struggling. But one of the hard things about college golf is you never know where your teammates stand, really. Right. Because you don't have a leaderboard to look at or anything like that until after the round. So I was struggling a lot uh, and as you do every round, like every so often, you're struggling around the golf and your head gets down, especially at the time I was 17 years old. So my coach, um, he comes up to me anyway and he starts telling me, he starts kind of like amping me up, getting me, trying to get me going. And um, my immature head was like, oh, well, there's no need. I don't need to be doing that. I'm already so-and-so over. Right. I can just get it going for the next round. And he stopped me on the hole right there and then, and he was like, he just told me as it was, he was like, look, no matter what happens, your score, you always have to assume your score is going to count because one of the boys up ahead, you don't know this, but I know that he's having a terrible day and your bad day may be better than his terrible day. So basically kind of like get your head out your ass and get going.
0: Yeah, that's a perfect story and a perfect example. Uh, I, I, I've heard that many, many times, and it's not uncommon. You get in your own head and you think that, well, my day's done, and then you have to remember that no, there's a team I'm playing on, and someone, you know, I mean, also the other thing you never want to be like, know in your heart that you kind of gave up in the last three holes to shoot seventy, exactly. to shoot seventy nine when you have a teammate who is working their ass off and they shoot 80 and how do you look, how do you look them in the eye? And yeah, that's, that's a tough one.
1: Well, I was always appreciative of coach doing that. Maybe not right at the time. I think you'll agree with that. Yeah. But the next round, I think I went on to shoot, uh, I think that was the first round and the highest score I shot after that was one over. I shot like a three under and a one over or something following. So It was the same day as well. It was 36 hours. I think I shot... I couldn't actually tell you. It was definitely around 80... And then I went out and shot a 68 or 69 in the set, in the next round, and I was like, "Well, it seems like it works. So this
0: guy must know what he's doing." There you go. There you go. That's a that's a nice comeback. Well, we have uh, we we've gosh, we were talking this week. I saw you last week in in South Carolina. I saw you the week before that in uh, in in Dallas. And I know you I, can't get enough of me. That's exact. You know, I was just actually I was going to say you must be getting sick of me by now, but. Um, <laughs> But you know, you, you play the Merido Amateur had a nice finish there. I believe it was a uh, 11th or 14th, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, and yeah. and that brings you into uh, into the Palmetto Amateur in Aiken, South Carolina. And what's really funny is both of us did not know we were going to be there until very quickly. I I wasn't um, asked to to go uh, cover it until just about two days before the tournament started, and. You were not originally in the field. So, maybe no. share how do you go from not really in the field to holding the trophy at the end as the Palmetto Amateur Champion? Tell this story.
1: Uh, so, obviously, Marado first. That sure. Was a great golf course, one of my favorites that so we got to play in college. So, every opportunity I get to, I go back as regularly as possible to play an event. And it was quite funny. I was um, planning originally to caddy for my teammate, Cuff Nambi, and it was another teammate because we were actually playing out at our course, Irish Creek, afterwards, and we ended up playing really good and stuff. And I was like, I'm in, I'm in the mood for some golf. Like, I'm playing pretty decent. I'm yeah. Ready, ready to get going. And one of my other teammates, Connor said he was like, why don't you just call up? They might have, they might, well, I'm not saying you'll get in or anything, but you may get in with a, like someone pulling out or if anyone changes their plans or anything, so that like, that's not a bad idea. So straight after around the golf we went to the uh, went to get food. We I was joking around with Carson because he was kind of looking forward to me caddying because I will admit I'm a great caddy. Okay. <laughs> and he was looking forward to me caddying and I didn't I was joking around with him being like, Yeah, I'm not caddy, I'm gonna enter this tournament, I'm gonna see if I'm gonna get into this, blah, blah, blah. And I at the time, it was only a joke. And as soon as we left, I was like, huh, I might actually just call them and see what see what we can do. So I called Brad straight after we had dinner and got speaking to him. And I was in the car with Carson, actually. It was very funny because he... Uh,
0: oh, he no. He, oh, no. He, oh, he was there <laughs> while you are on the call. Oh, oh. so you're on, yeah, the, so you're on no, the phone. Oh, my gosh. So you're on the phone with Brad Crane, who is the chairman, <laughs> chairman at the Palmetto. So you're on the phone with Brad in the car with Carson, who thinks that you are going to be catting for him.
1: Yeah, Carson oh, was oh. trying to mutter things under his breath and everything to try and not let me into the tournament. <laughs> but um, no, Brad said he would get in contact with me if anything. He didn't know at the time off the top of his head, but sure. I gave him the details and he got me in, luckily. And, yeah, I just – obviously, they're two very different golf courses. Oh, my uh, gosh. Marido and Palmetto are two completely different golf courses, in fact. But I just practiced like I would and had a couple rest days and just got out there and went for it. And luckily, I got into the event and then played very good and took home the victory.
0: Now you and I spoke, I think, after uh, just about every single round. I know we spoke after this this opening round where you shoot a a two under par sixty eight, which is a really nice start. I think you're probably three or four back. Uh, I know Alex. Yeah, you were three back. Uh, Alex Goff yeah. shot sixty five. Yeah. So so you're three back. You shoot this real nice opening round, um, but you know we have to talk about the nines. It was a thirty nine and a twenty nine. So, uh, I'm guessing, or not? I'm, I'm not guessing. I know for a fact that this is not an uncommon occurrence with you. You've said that you get off too slow, or you know, we can say rather poor starts uh, occasionally in in rounds of golf or in tournaments. Do you have any idea what causes that? Is there? Is it just you're not focused? You know, you're not focused right out of the out of the gate. You know, what do you think is causing that? Uh, for you to have somewhat slow starts in tournaments?
1: I would probably say I've had the last year, two years of doing the same thing. Okay. And it all started at Windsong Farms in Minnesota's event, where I was something like, I was, I think I, it was like the worst start I've had in college tournament. I was eight over through five holes or something. I mean, it was, it was just, I didn't know what had hit me. And I ended up coming back to shoot in, I think, maybe one over or even for the tournament. So, I, I finished the tournament really good because that track is not an easy track at all. Okay. And I do not know what it is. I stay focused. Like, as I said, my routine is a very big thing for me. And my routine is the same on all 18 holes. All However many shots of the round I take as well, my routine stays the same. And I mean, I just can't put anything to it. I don't know what it is. It's just kind of got used to it now. But as I was telling my uh, Ben Woodruff, one of my teammates,
0: yeah.
1: I told him after the second round in the Palmetto, I was like, I'm probably going to end up winning this event because it's the second tournament of the year that I've had a good first round, um, a good first round in the tournament. And the only other one was the Longa um college event which ended up winning as well so it seems to me like if i can manage to get the start (laughs) i can do pretty good but yeah it's just i gotta kind of iron it out and it's something i spoke to my coaches about and we're gonna go iron out as much as we can when i go home now and hopefully sort out and get going again for the next tournaments
0: it's got to be a nerve-wracking thing because it's almost like it's almost like you are somewhat expecting, you know. If you start out with a with a bogey on the first hole or, or on the second hole, uh, instead of just wiping that at just a bogey, I'll I'll get it back on the next one. I'm guessing your head automatically goes to, oh, here we go again, and. <laughs>
1: I'd be lying if I didn't if I told you I didn't <laughs> say them exact words in the first few holes apart. My okay, <laughs> I, I remember walking off the fifth hole and I was the first one on the tee on the sixth, and I'm just watching people hitting um, from the hole coming up, and I've just literally said to myself, it's "Like here we go again." Every single time it's just the same stuff over and over again, but it's just something that you have to kind of stick to, like I and during the round I don't think about it really during the round until unless it's a really bad start as it was in the Palmer uh because I'm just thinking about how I'm going to what not what position I'm in but the shot that I have in front of me sure and um yeah I was just after the round of golf I was like goodness me I don't know how I've managed to end up having a good first round after that start but as everyone calls me I got I kind of got the nickname in my team and Charlotte is like consistent. Uh-huh. Uh, I definitely give them a run for the money calling me that um, last week.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's what I, I asked you, uh, you know, during that interview after the first round, Mr. Consistency, cause I just, you know, yeah. the 39, 29. Now you mentioned, you mentioned routine is big with you. Um, about pre-shot routine, but, um, I have to ask, how important is a, is a PlayStation four to your tournament routine? <laughs>
1: I mean, there's no point in me going to a tournament if I don't have my PlayStation. I mean, Got it. That, that's, okay. just, that's just the note that everyone needs to know. That is just out there. If I don't have my PlayStation, I wouldn't put any money on me for the tournament. Put it that way.
0: Okay, so um, obviously I've been speaking to some of your teammates, so uh, I I will I will you know not stop at anything to get additional information <laughs> to for for these episodes. How. I mean, how did how did this start to the point where, I mean, have you always been into video games and, and always just around it? I mean, I know Call of Duty is one of your big games, but, I mean, is this something that you've always been around? Because I would imagine um, that would probably be the last thing you'd want to do right before a, a round of golf, just get your eyes glued to a TV screen. <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem that would be very beneficial. And, uh, yeah, so how did that start? Well, I think
1: I think I may know who you've got your information off, and I think I know what he's gonna want you want me to say in response. So, I actually I, I didn't own a PlayStation coming over here, and I hadn't owned one in college. Sure, it was just we would play like a game of FIFA or something like that, just to, every now and then, just as kind of fun. Well, then Carson he wasn't playing his PlayStation much, and I had moved into a two-bedroom with Matt Sharpstein and he had his Xbox and which is also a terrible choice PlayStation is definitely the way (laughs) forward (laughs) but if we I was like you're not playing it so maybe I should just rent it off you for the year so he was like okay yeah that works for me I don't play it so I rented it off him for the year and without fail I had to take it to every tournament because we took it to a few I mean all joking aside, golf is when you go somewhere in a team environment, it's pretty okay. But it's a lonely game when you're out traveling and you're in hotels. Yep. Unless you unless you're really with like a, a big group of people, it's it gets pretty like lonely, and you got you've got time to kill. So after around the golf, obviously time to kill after doing homework. And I've seen this in college. I'm sure I have to say that.
0: Good good choice. Um, night, night. Well done. Well done. <laughs>
1: But um, so, yeah, I'd never play it in the mornings because I wouldn't call myself a morning person. And in college, you have many 5.30 wake-up calls. So definitely wasn't a go-to in the morning. But the night before, I'd definitely get honed in, play, play a couple games, drop in. And that's just the way it went.
0: Yeah. Well, it also gets your mind off what's coming up. And you get to kind of uh, you know clear your head a bit exactly Uh,
1: it's kind of a release to everything that happens on the golf course or around golf
0: makes sense and uh yes and i i can can neither confirm nor deny that i get my information from 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 carson on me I, I, (laughs) i i cannot confirm any of that information but um all right so you you pick up this palmetto uh this palmetto victory and this is i guess your last uh your last tournament here in the states. You're about ready to to head back over to to the UK, and you know that may come as a surprise to people listening, saying, "Hey, this guy, uh, you know, this guy really is is someone that you know we should be looking out for at the Western Am, or we should be looking at the US Amateur." But you are going to go back to the UK, go back home, and and work on uh, uh, you know playing in amateur events over there. What uh, what kind of a summer schedule do you have set up for for competition wise over there?
1: So obviously it's getting towards the end of um, the English and GB and I kind of summer schedule. So I have the English amateur next at the. It's pretty much the end of July, start of August, sure. and then there's the Brabazon Trophy, which I'm hoping to get into, which is the English or well, the British stroke play because that's an open event. Yeah. Uh, so I have them two left, and then I have a couple of Euro Pro. Um, tournaments to play in so I've probably I've got four decent sized tournaments left for the uh, summer and then you know re, re-plan for next year there's lots of things I want to do now I'm out of college such as tournaments back home or tournaments abroad during the college time that I'd like to play in so it's pretty exciting actually that I get another year of well, the plan is another year of amateur golf anyway, for sure.
0: So that's interesting. You know, we spoke a little bit about that before we uh, started recording and started having this conversation. Um, you are basically, you know, done with college golf. You have no more eligibility. So it's really, you know, the path is to be a you know lifelong amateur or to turn professional. And you said there's, you're really in no rush to turn pro. Uh, and that's just, you know, truthfully, it's not a common statement that I hear when I talk to collegiate golfers that are coming to the end of their eligibility. I mean, you know, with, with the COVID pandemic, of course there were some players that were able to decide on whether or not they wanted to take a, a COVID year and and extend their, their one year of eligibility. But for the most part, everyone's like, yep, I'm going to play in this and this, you know, I'll play the USM and then I'm term pro or I'm going to play this and then I turn pro. So, you know, perhaps, you know, cause I haven't heard this statement quite a bit. What is kind of your reasoning for, stating that you're not in a big rush to turn professional which i think is great which i think is great i'm not questioning you at all i think it's i think it's fantastic i just want to i'm just curious what your thought process is
1: for me um i've had a lot of friends and i've seen guys that have turned pro as soon as they can and quite honestly aren't ready for it i mean i'm my own. i'm my own biggest critique okay and until I think that I can turn pro and win tournaments to kickstart my career and like drive up the rankings, I'm in no rush to turn. I've got a lot of improving to do before I think that. Of course, I can go turn pro and play okay in tournaments, but I think for a more consistent level, I've got a lot more to do and a lot more to give in the amateur game. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that I never got to do, such as men's events, because I came over to America still as a junior.
0: Right, okay.
1: So I never actually got my first year of men's events back home in England. So it would be nice to obviously get through them and travel a bit as well, which will be fun, like four tournaments, obviously. But I've just got, I have I want a bit more experience behind me before I turn pro. And I mean, I've got great kind of like friends and family and people helping me, supporting me, everything like that. And luckily, unlike many other people who are bouncing them to turn pro straight off the bat, they're all very supportive of my decision and they're going to help me along the way. So I'm pretty lucky with that. And yeah, I just just don't want to be one of them guys that gets stuck on a mini tour, as I'm sure everyone, no one plans for that. But it's a very common occurrence nowadays that people start on a mini tour and just get stuck on it for too long, basically. So... That's my plans anyway.
0: This is a very, uh, it's very interesting because you and I have had many conversations and uh, I, I mean, this is really mature.
1: I know, I'm smarter than I look, honestly. I, I
0: mean, I, well, you said that. I'm just, but I mean, no, I, all jokes aside, I don't hear a lot of that. I hear a lot of, okay, I'm done with college, I'm ready to go make money without realizing and it's, it's you have that self-realization of, okay, maybe I'm just not that good yet. And just saying professional and having it next to my name, that doesn't bring me any money. That doesn't bring me any success. Maybe I should actually go see if I can compete on the pro tours, which you're talking about the Euro Pro Tour, and I'm guessing you can probably play in European Challenge Tour events. Uh, I'm guessing there's a lot of uh, opportunities over there. Maybe I'll go play as an amateur against these pros and see how I stack up.
1: Yeah, that's, that's essentially it. Yeah, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to play a few of them as an amateur and see how I stack up against them. And obviously, it's not that I'm not confident in my game. It's just luckily the course I grew up on. We I actually had I'd say three guys that weren't playing mini tours. There was two of them that were playing Asian tour. One of the guys played European tour for a while, Van Phillips, and they were they're probably grown up. They've been through their thirties and forties with me. And they have just bundled me with loads of wisdom to make me seem smart, obviously. Because, <laughs> um, but no, they've been, they probably the pros at my golf courses growing up have been the biggest influence on me. And one of my old, one of my, well, one of my best friends, his dad was the old head pro at the course I grew up at. And he was, he, I'll never forget, uh, used to win tournaments and you'd get to go out, like junior tournaments at the club. And you would get to go out and play around golf with him. He was very good to the juniors and starting everything up. And he said to me um, two things that he, he said to me, which I've kept with me probably for about easily 10 years now. I'm 22. So it was definitely before I was a teenager. He was like, never turn pro just because you want to turn pro. Turn pro when you know you're good enough to be a pro. Yep. And he also said, don't have a backup plan as coaching until your plan doesn't work if it if it doesn't work which I have completely agreed with and obviously when you get older you start to think well maybe I should start because back home to teach you do your pga and it's a two and a half three year course pretty much sure. so it t- it takes time obviously but I'm not looking I'm not even looking into that as an option until I Give it all my all in professional golf and try and make the most out of that. First of all,
0: yeah, you can. I I truly believe that the that if you want to succeed, you have to go into it as if there is no backup plan. I mean, obviously, abs, obviously you can, you know, you can find a backup plan. There may be something that you know is a p- potential, but if you are focused on the backup plan, you're not focused on the real goal.
1: Absolutely, I'd say I was a bit of a troublesome not too troublesome but not the ideal student in high school I'd say and I used to argue with my teachers all the time because they were like well you need a backup plan so well I don't because if I have a backup plan they am not fully invested in my original plan there so you may go. As well, I may as well just have my backup plan as my original plan if that's what I'm gonna make but I'm sure that I'm sure if I had a conversation with them about it now we wouldn't argue as much but <laughs>
0: Well, it it makes sense. It probably doesn't make sense for a fifteen-year-old to say that, or a fourteen-year-old, but but it does. It does make sense. Um, Now, you mentioned family and and friends, and um, I couldn't help but notice that uh, you do have a younger brother, who uh, Mm -hmm. who I have uh, run across uh, uh, specifically, ran across your brother Connor at the twenty nineteen Walker Cup at Liverpool, and. Um, you know, I'm just kind of putting two and two together here. He played a Walker Cup, and you haven't played one, and you're thinking about staying amateur for a little while, and uh, 2023, the Walker Cup returns to uh, returns to the UK. It'll be at the Old Course in St. Andrews. Um, I I already have plans to be there. Do you have any plans to be there?
1: <laughs> Unfortunately... I don't have an answer to that. Obviously, it would be great to play a Walker Cup. Um, but as I said, um, it's it's a huge accomplishment, first of all, to get into a Walker Cup. And right. then to play at St. Andrews would be even more special than it would be. And I would love to do that. But with the timing and everything, and I'm just going to play it by ear. Sure. If I feel like I, I'm ready to turn pro next year, I'll probably about old time pro and I'll just start my professional career. But if I feel like I have more to offer in amateur golf and I've got a bit more time to wait for the professional life, it's definitely gonna be on the cards then. But I'm a very, very laid back and just play everything as it comes sure. kind of guy. So that's obviously it would be a great bonus, but it's not in my mind whilst playing tournaments, put it that way.
0: Of course. Of course. Well, but it, but it is something that is out there that I find interesting because, you know, you know, typically you'd find the, um, you know, you know, you would think that it would occur in reverse. You would play in 19 and, and Connor would be coming up to maybe play in 21 or 23. Um, what do you remember about that experience? Maybe coming from, you know, the older brother, you know, were you there, were you watching it or how, 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 what kind of a um I mean how much attention did that get just for your family?
1: Uh, it was great. Like I mean we me and Connor when we play together we need a referee out there like it's it's so competitive it's it's insane. Okay. But I think that's what's helped us kind of get as good as we are basically. Um we've always supported each other though when we're playing tournaments like I wasn't there for the um, Walker cup because I was over here, Sure, but I had pretty much most of it live streamed to me um, <laughs> by family. Cause they were all there. Obviously family from my family's all Irish. So we had all my Irish family coming over to watch it as well. And uh, obviously I was watching on TV here. It was great fun to see him. And it was, I think he'd done a great job. Uh he was the, I believe, the second youngest. Yes, are, you are.
0: You are one hundred percent correct.
1: Was it Justin Rose the only one before him? You know, I, I think you're
0: right. Um, I
1: think it was, and Justin Rose has had such an incredible amateur career in England. That's a pretty big accomplishment to kind of, to kind of get really. And uh, I was extremely proud of him. I know he may hear this, and I've never told him it to his face, and I don't intend in telling him anything like that to his face ever again okay but but, um no we were all proud of him it was great to watch because obviously one of my teammates Connor Purcell was also playing in that so it was pretty pumped up time for me because I knew a few of the boys playing and obviously I knew the other guys playing as well but I think it was great fun to watch and yeah proud of them all
0: one thing I noticed about your brother is that, you know, a lot of players are wearing visors or are wearing hats, but not your brother. Cause he is, I mean, this is, I mean, you get a lot of, you get a big opportunity right here to have some fun with Connor, but he is really proud of that damn hair. He's got, I mean, that is a full side of, I mean, he's really proud of it. Isn't he?
1: I've always said to my mom and dad, when I went to America, Connor was like, he was in check. He was in check before I went to America. Then come, I, I go to America. And he starts getting long hair. He, he pays more attention to his hair than he did practicing for a while. Oh, I think. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. But, um,
1: I think he. Um, it's pretty funny. I, I've taught him everything he knows. Obviously in golf. I mean, there you
0: go. Obviously, come on.
1: <laughs> Apart from the hair, that is one thing I'll never take. To, I'll never claim that I helped him to do anything to do with that. But you know it's his thing, and I I will admit though, coming to America, he cut it, he cut most of it off coming over to the states
0: because he's going to play at Charlotte. The the, uh, the the golf tradition at Charlotte continues because he's, he's
1: exactly. So he's been here in Charlotte with me for a semester, getting to know everything. Oh, and now, now getting... and
0: now you need to leave. T- you need to leave town. You can't be around him that much, can you?
1: Well, yeah, you know, my my job is done. I kind of shown <laughs> him the ropes and. Just let him go and do his thing now, but I'm sure he, along with the rest of the team, should be excited for the year they're going to have. We had a good year last year, and obviously with the addition of him, he can play some golf, so it'll be good for everyone on the team.
0: John, fantastic conversation. Knew it would be a fun one. Congrats again on your uh, Palmetto Amateur Championship. Glad I was there to see that and cover it. And uh, I will see you down the road. This will not be the uh, last time our paths cross. I wish you all the best. Uh, Safe travels over uh, across the pond. And I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thanks a lot, Ben. And there you have it. Special thanks to John Goff for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. And we'll see you next time here at the back of the range.